You are listening to the Sermons Podcast of First Baptist Church, Mount Washington. I invite you to turn your Bibles to Romans 16. We are in the the last chapter here of Romans. We'll look at verses 1 through 16 today and and, uh, finish it up, Lord willing, next Sunday. And also next Sunday we'll be sharing in the Lord's Supper together. And uh, so I hope that you'll make plans to be here for that. Well, this chapter, as you can see, if you just glance at it here, is filled with all kinds of names of many people in Rome. And uh, I'm going to try to read this passage. The more I practice the pronunciations of these names, uh, I think the worse that I get. So... uh, I've been told that if you just say it confidently, no one will know whether you're right or wrong. I'll just leave that up to you, but I'm going to do my best this morning and uh, to read those. I think these names, by the way, communicate a couple of things to us about the Apostle Paul. Um, One is maybe a misconception when we read a a book, a letter like Romans, that, that Paul was only concerned with theology and not with people at all. And uh, I think that's a that's a, a tragic misconception here uh, because this chapter really refutes that idea that, that Paul was somehow only interested in truth and doctrine and not uh, people uh, because of the people and relationships that you'll we'll see here uh, in, in this chapter. I think it also says something about Paul's purpose for writing Romans. Uh, though in places, in many places, it's been challenging for us uh, to think about, but but... This at the end, this listing of all these people tells us at least Paul's expectation about who, was actually, who would actually read this and, and hear this letter and benefit from this letter. And, and the point is, is that it was, I, I think, normal, uh, average uh, laymen, lay people in the church. Uh, he, he didn't write this uh, solely just to pastors and theologians. He wrote this to all kinds of people in the church, the church, for them to understand and uh, to benefit of, of what he's, he's saying here. And uh, so uh, let's uh, look to these names and, uh, and this listing here and see what the Lord has to say to us this morning. Romans 16, 1, I commend to you our sister Phoebe, a servant of the church at Kincreae, that you may welcome her in the Lord in a way worthy of the saints and help her and whatever she may need from you, for she has been a patron of many and of myself as well. Greet Prisca and Aquila, my fe- fellow workers in Christ Jesus, who risk their necks for my life, to whom not only I give thanks, but all the churches of the Gentiles give thanks as well. Greet also the church in their house. Greet my beloved Eponidas who was the first convert to Christ in Asia. Greet Mary, who has worked hard for you. Greet Andronicus and Junia, my kinsmen and my fellow prisoners. They are well known to the apostles, and they were in Christ before me. Greet Ampliatus, my beloved in the Lord. Greet Urbanus, our fellow worker in Christ, and my beloved Stachys. Greet Apelles, who is approved in Christ. Greet those who belong to the family of Aristobulus. 
Greet my kinsmen, Herodian. Greet those in the Lord who belong to the family of Narcissus. Greet those workers in the Lord, Tryphena and Tryphosa. Greet the beloved Persis who has worked hard in the Lord. Greet Rufus, chosen in the Lord, also his mother, who has been a mother to me as well. Greet Asyncretitis, Philegion, Hermes, Petrobus, Hermas, and the brothers who are with them. Greet Philologus, Julia, Nurus, and his sister, and Olympus, and all the saints who are with them. Greet one another with a holy kiss. All the churches of Christ greet you. Let's pray. Lord, we ask for your help now as we, we always do in, in uh, hearing by your Spirit, Lord, your truth. And so, Lord, give us ears to hear, hearts that are ready and uh, humble, Lord, to receive and apply these things to our, our lives. And I pray, Lord, that you might use me as your servant. I pray that you would increase and I would decrease and that your word would go forth. And I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Sinclair Ferguson points out that one of the fears that people have about becoming a Christian is, am I going to lose friends? It's one of the things that, that pops into your mind. If I, if I trust Christ and follow Him as my Lord and Savior, am I going to lose people that are close to me? Those of us who are, are Christians and have been for a while understand that this is, I think, very likely to happen in your Christian life. It's a real fear, and it's very likely that as you seek to live a godly life in Christ Jesus, that you may lose more and more over the course of your life. I don't know for sure, but, but I wonder when Paul wrote in Philippians 3 about having suffered the loss of all things, if part of that loss was not relationships that he had lost. There's no doubt when Paul became a Christian that he would have been disinherited by his uh, Jewish colleagues, uh, by his Jewish students, by his Jewish friends, many of them. And uh, even over the course of ministry, we read sometimes, and, and it is a study, it's, it's interesting if you look at the ending of his letters You'll see others who abandoned him and turned on him and sought to hurt him over the course of his ministry. So Paul knew what it was like to lose friends for the sake of Christ. But it's also very clear in passages like Romans 16 that Paul also knew what it was like to gain a family in Christ. Uh, to, to discover, in, in many ways, the beauty of what Paul talked about back in Romans chapter 8, it seems so long ago, when he talked about being adopted into God's family. And he talked about being heirs with Jesus, co-heirs with other brothers and sisters uh, in Christ. And so we see it illustrated in a passage like this, the one that, that is before us this morning, the beauty of those relationships. This whole section here, you'll notice 
is bracketed in verse 1 by the church, and it's and at the end of, of toward the verse 16, uh, a reference to all of the churches. But Paul uses in, in chapter 16, verse 1, that word of the church. And he's speaking here about the wonderful blessing of being of the church of Jesus Christ. And so as Paul mentions these names, you, you get the sense of his love for the people of God. And so that as sure as he had lost many friends for following Jesus Christ, he had also gained a new family. He was a part of the family of God. He had been disinherited by one, but by the grace of God, he's now been inherited. He's inherited an eternal family. And uh, as expansive and lasting as that whole church of Jesus Christ is, a glorious inheritance. There's one place in Corinthians where they're arguing. Uh, you remember, I think it's at the beginning, uh, where they're arguing among themselves about which preacher they would prefer the most, whether they wanted Apollos or, or whether they preferred the preaching of Peter or, or Paul. And Paul kind of says to them, I think it's, it's chapter 3, where he basically says to them, don't you realize that in Christ all are yours? Like, why, why are you engaging in this? All, all things are yours in Jesus Christ. He says, this is the sweet inheritance, the family of God that we've been placed into, uh, those of us who are in Christ. And so this chapter is a beautiful picture of that. There's a lot of names here. And uh, if you you connect a couple of of children and and a few husbands and wives to each of these households, and you think about how many may have been in the churches that he referred to, there there could be as many as a hundred people that he's thinking of here and and addressing here. So what I'd like to do is to, rather than preach a a, a 26-point sermon, amen, thank you, I was waiting for that. What I'd like to do is make some broad observations, and and then we'll look at several. We'll make some comments about several of the individuals that Paul mentions. So what does this list teach us about the church? Well, first of all, I mean, it most certainly reminds us of uh, to be a loving church, Um, the love that is in the church. You can't read this and not appreciate and see the love that Paul had for these people. The word greet... He mentions uh, 17 times, uh, and I'll talk about that in just a moment. But I want you to notice some of the other phrases that speak of this love. Uh, Look at the word beloved in the text. Verse uh, 5, verse 8, down in verse 9, verse 12, he he, he calls these these folks beloved, he says. There's a a sense of family. Verse 1, he calls Phoebe our sister. Not his biological sister, but his sister in Christ. Our sister, he says. Uh, Verse 7, he he, uh, he calls Andronicus and Junia, uh, he says, my kinsmen, if you will. And again, we don't, know, we don't know for sure, but I don't, I don't think that he means biologically there. I think, again, he's talking about the family of God. Uh, when he talks about Rufus's mom there toward the end, it says that she has been like a mother to me. Not, not literally his mother, but like a mother to me. Paul was, was a very caring and loving man, and the church that's pictured here was a people who shared a love 
for one another. We probably should stop and ask, now how in the world did Paul know all of these people? I've mentioned to you a few times that from his own letter that, that Paul had never been to the churches in Rome. He'd not been to Rome. And, and so how did he know these people and speak to them so tenderly and, and, and lovingly? And I think part of the answer to that that we would say is that he met them, probably met them on many of his missionary journeys. We've referenced this historically that the Jewish Christians were kicked out of Rome for a period of time, and they were scattered about, and in 54 AD, they were allowed to return to Rome. That's been part of what the struggle is of Gentiles and Jews here in the the letter of Romans. But for for example, Paul had met, we know Paul had met uh, Prisca or Priscilla and Aquila in Corinth. And perhaps it was because they had been kicked out of Rome and they relocated their tent-making business to Corinth. That's where they met Paul. Uh, That's where they formed a relationship together. By the time that Paul wrote Romans, they had likely returned to Rome. And so he's asking that the church greet them, he's, he's saying. And there may have been several others like this that Paul would have encountered along many of his his journeys. And what's remarkable to me about this is how Paul remembered all of these people and the details by which he remembered them. Again, it suggests that he genuinely cared for people. Think of the energy uh, of keeping touch with brothers and sisters in Christ. Paul, I don't think, had Facebook uh, or, or any of these other kind of modern means. And, and yet, yet he, he kept great touch. Uh, use Kent Hughes asked us to imagine Paul on a ship, perhaps in port, and he's asking travelers, he's asking folks for information. What about Petrobus? How is Petrobus doing anyway? Have you heard from Phoebe lately? How can I be praying for, for the church? It, it causes us to ask. We see the dynamics here, just glimpses of these dynamics. But, but does this kind of love characterize the love that we have for one another? And the church. One of the reasons Paul may have been able to recite all these names with detail is because of his vibrant prayer life. And you think of how often Paul begins each of his letters, uh, I think nearly all of them, with, I am always praying for you. You realize he wasn't just blowing smoke, he was praying for these people. Perhaps he kept detailed lists asking questions, making connections, looking for opportunities. We know he sent a letter to, to, to an individual, to, to Philemon. How many other letters, perhaps, did he, did he send? Inquiring, looking for opportunities to visit, expressing his desire to be with these Christians in Rome. To do any of these things, does this kind of energy characterize something of your love for the people around you this morning? It's a two-way street, isn't it? But it causes us to ask some questions. And I would ask, but if you come to church right on time, and I'm not pointing anybody out, but right on time or a little bit late, and then you leave, you're the first one out of the building every week, I would simply ask you, are you valuing the kind of gift that the church is meant to be for you? Relationally in your life. Do you know the people sitting around you? Do, do you? do you know their names? Do you know something about their family? 
Do you know something about what might be going on with them in their life? This is certainly one of the great benefits of being in a Sunday school class, isn't it? Because it gives you another opportunity to know those things and to to become closer to people, to connect in, in love. I mentioned the word greet. Much has been made about verse 16, so we might as well look at it. Greet one another with a holy kiss. I think that phrase is mentioned about five times or so in the New Testament. And when we read that, we kind of think, wow, that's, that's, I don't know about that. That kind of makes you squeamish, doesn't it? I think it was, it was I know it's J.B. Phillips, the way he paraphrases this. I like the way he paraphrases this. He says, give each other a hearty handshake all around, you see. That's the Baptist way of doing that, isn't it? A hearty handshake. But, but obviously the emphasis here, don't miss it, it's on greet, isn't it? I mean, over and over again, it's about greeting. And, and the kiss is something of, of the how to that. And so the greeting might be different from culture to culture. But, but my goodness, doesn't this speak, the repetition itself and the call of, of the intimacy here, doesn't it speak of the kind of love and affection and involvement that should flow from brothers and sisters in Christ? An expression of care and love and fellowship that goes much deeper than just the ritual of shaking someone's hand every week and I'll see you again next week. Are you glad to be here? Are you you genuinely glad that your brothers and sisters in Christ are here with you today? Are you excited to see them? Are you concerned when they're not here? Are you concerned when so-and-so isn't here? Are you concerned enough to call them? Send them a text? Are you, are, are you concerned enough to know enough about their life to know that at times you might come and, and you say, I'm glad that you're here. Maybe you touch their elbow and you say, you know, their arm, I'm, I'm praying for you. I know what's going on. Please, no kisses at the doors today, right? We're not going to do that. But certainly there's an affection that's involved here, a care, isn't it? This is a picture of how God wants us to love each other in the fellowship of the church. And so we should be asking, does this describe, what's pictured here? Is this describing something of our love and our concern and our relationships? The effort that we're making in the church? Second, we're reminded here of, of the reason that such love exists, and it is because they were, I'm sure you've already filled it in, a Christ-centered church. We've mentioned before about the diversity of the, the church in Rome, the New Testament churches, and, and it's very apparent in this list. It's hard to miss. We've, we've already pointed out some of the ethnic diversity between Jews and Gentiles, but there's also folks with different socioeconomic backgrounds, um, and uh, I trust folks like John Stott's research on this is good, but he, but he, he, he notes that you've got names like Ampliad, Ampliitis, Urbanus, Hermes that were very common names of slaves during that time. And so they're more in the bottom end of the socioeconomic ladder. And then you've got free people, many of them, some of them who seem to be quite distinguished. We'll talk about Phoebe in just a moment, but she was likely a person with great means. Uh, Verse 10, you've got this fellow named Aristobulus, uh, who was quite likely to be the grandson of Herod the Great, the grandson. Um, 
and the friend uh, in history notes, a friend of the emperor Claudius at the time. Then you have uh, Narcissus, verse 11, who uh, was at least historically if, if another powerful, influential man. And part of the significance of, of some of these names is that these men, some of these men may have likely already died at this point, but Paul is sending greetings to their family. They're notable people, and he's sending greetings to their family. And the significance is that their families, their households were continuing to follow Christ. What an encouraging thing. In terms of diversity, it's quite notable that Possibly as many as nine out of the 26 persons that are mentioned here are women. Uh, Prisca in verse 3 we've mentioned, Mary verse 6, Junia perhaps uh, seems likely to be a woman, verse 7, Tryphena, Tryphosa, uh, perhaps were twin sisters, uh, verse 12, Persis, Rufus's mother, uh, Julia, and Nerusa's sister, as well. You read this, and, and again, just contrary, just so you know, contrary to popular criticism, Paul was not a misogynist. But apparently thought very highly of these sisters in Christ to mention them like this. What's most fascinating, though, in the midst of this diversity is the profound unity which transcended their differences. Galatians 3.28, you know this. He says, there's neither Jew nor Greek, there's neither slave nor free, there's no male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. And that's pictured here, isn't it? Notice how Paul mentions it uh, four times in the passage. He uses the phrase, in Christ. Notice at the end of verse 3, uh, verse 7 at the end, verse 9, verse 10. He's talking about these people and their relationships, that it's... It's based in Christ. Five times he describes it as in the Lord. A separate phrase, but meaning the same thing. The end of verse 11, verse, uh, verse 8, verse 11, twice in verse 12 and 13. It's as if over and over again, as Paul writes this, it's like, did he have to write that? No, he didn't have to, but he wrote it over and over again, reminding them and reminding us that our unity is in Jesus Christ. He calls them brothers and sisters. He calls them saints. He calls them fellow workers, my kinsmen, a mother in one case. Paul sees these people as his family in Christ. There's such a diversity among them, but they're unified together. And their unity was because they were centered in and around Jesus Christ. That reminds us that every true church focuses on Jesus and the gospel, right? Because lasting unity grows from our union with Christ and, and not our affinities. It, it's Christ in whom we are unified. It's in Christ that we greet one another, love one another. It's the grace of Christ that sustains us as we work and it empowers our labors for Christ. It's in Christ. It's Christ whom we preach and it is in Christ that we are one together. And it's beautifully pictured here in Romans 16 over and over again in Christ. But third, notice it's a committed church. Or you might want to write in parentheses, some have called it a hard-working church. We say that because several times Paul references their work. 
their work. We begin with Phoebe in verses 1 and 2. He says, I commend to you our sister Phoebe, a servant of the church at Kincreai, that you may welcome her in the Lord in a way worthy of the saints and help her in whatever she may need from you, for she has been a patron of many and of myself as well. Those, those are powerful words, remarkable words. He notes several things about her. But, but since she is the only one he commends, the rest are just greetings, but Phoebe's commended. Uh, it seems very likely that, that Phoebe may have been the one who was bringing this letter of Paul, delivering this letter to the church. Uh, she came bearing this letter. Bar- Barnhouse writes this. I don't think he understates this. Never was there a greater burden carried by such tender hands. The theological history of the church through the centuries was in the manuscript which she brought with her. The Reformation was in that baggage. The blessing of multitudes in our day was carried in those parchments. Paul calls her there, see the phrase, a servant of the church. Literally, it's the word deaconess, which has been the subject of many debates uh, uh, most recently in the past couple hundred years or so. Was Phoebe a deacon in the church of Kincreai? But the truth is, we, we, it's not very clear whether that is, is true. We should note that the word diakonos, deacon, that's the word Paul uses here, it's really the it's really the, the most generic kind of word frequently used for anybody who's serving in the church. It's used over and over again, which is what makes it kind of hard to just, what does Paul mean by this? Paul used the very same word back in Romans chapter 13, verse 4, when he talked about uh, leaders in the Roman government. He called them deacons, diakonos, ministers, he said. Uh, he uses the same word, chapter 15, verse 8, referring to Christ. And so it's not clear of what Paul intended. I've encouraged you before by this, and I think it's, it's true. When you're interpreting scriptures, the main things are the plain things, and the plain things are the main things, right? And so when we think about this, what's plain from 1 Timothy and Titus is that Paul restricts the role of women in ministry when it comes to teaching or having authority over men. But at the same time, he rightly affirms the enormous role that women play in the life of the church, even the expansion of the gospel. And here's this case in point being Phoebe. She is a patron. Another interesting word, a patron, he calls her, a patron of Paul and many in the church. It it could mean something like benefactor or, or host or helper, probably, again, referring to some sort of financial, material kinds of help that Phoebe was providing for the church. Paul affirms her, commends her in this remarkable way. He says, welcome her in the Lord. Verse 3 through 5, he mentions two other fellow workers in Christ Jesus. He says, greet Prisca and Aquila, my fellow workers in Christ Jesus, who risked their necks for my life to whom not only I give thanks, but all the churches of the Gentiles give thanks as well. Greet also the church in their house. As mentioned earlier, this couple ministered with Paul really in a few places on and off. 
that we find in the New Testament. They, they apparently were hosting a church in their home. Uh, they, they discipled Apollos. That was the preacher I mentioned in 1 Corinthians. That's Acts 18.26. We read about that. At least one time Paul says here, we're not for sure when this was, but they risked their own lives to save Paul. It may have been in that riot in Ephesus that we read about in Acts 19, but at some point they had literally stuck their necks out to save him. Paul says, greet them and thank them. Uh, verse 6, he mentions a lady named Mary. Literally, uh, and again, we're talking about hardworking, but literally he calls her Mary the toiler. <laughs> she Greet Mary who has worked hard for you. That's all we're told about this Mary. We have no idea who she is. Just that she was in that church and she was working hard for the church. And Paul wanted to make sure that she was greeted. Verse 7, greet Andronicus and Junia, my kinsmen, my fellow prisoners. They are well known to the apostles and they were in Christ. They were Christians before me. Paul says. Again, it's unclear whether Paul means that they're biologically kin to him. Probably not. Probably just fellow Jews. But, but this, this couple, if they are indeed a husband and wife, maybe there's two men, we're not sure, but this couple were in prison with Paul at one point. Fellow sufferers, and they were known by the apostles for their commitment to Christ, and Paul calls them fellow prisoners. You be sure you greet them. Greet them. Verse 9, he mentions Urbanus, again, a fellow worker in Christ. Verse 12, he says, greet those workers in the Lord, Tryphena and Tryphosa and the beloved uh, Persis who has worked hard in the Lord. Tryphena and Tryphosa were likely twin sisters, and um, their names meant dainty and delicate. So it's quite, it's quite ironic here that Paul calls them such workers in the Lord. And the phrase he uses is that basically dainty and delicate were laboring to the point of exhaustion in the church. And be sure to greet them. And then there's Rufus in verse 13. And I'm sure you've heard of Rufus, right? Mark's gospel was written to the Christians in Rome and uh, it's very unusual in Mark's gospel for him to mention any names, but when we get to the end of his gospel, chapter 15, verse 21, he mentions a name, some names, the, a man of the, the, who carried Jesus' crossbeam. You remember that? Simon of Cyrene. And we're told there that he had two little boys at his side, Alexander and Rufus. Mark was writing his gospel to the church in Rome. And he writes it as if, look, you guys know these people. You, you know these boys. You know who they are. He says in verse 13, greet Rufus, chosen in, in the Lord. He seems to mean that there's something special about Rufus here. Perhaps that he was playing some kind of unique role or particular role of assisting Paul as an apostle and a role in these churches, he says. So it's quite, it's quite remarkable all that he says. We're reading here about all of the hard work that was put into the church in this particular time, over and over again. These folks, the pictures, they're sharing these tasks, and they're sharing, in some cases, sorrows and suffering even that comes with the gospel. And as they have done this and are doing this, their bond is growing stronger and stronger, and their love for one another is deepening. 
Is this not an example of the kind of commitment that God might expect for us in the church? We come and we think, this is about me, this is for me, what can I get? Boy, the picture here is totally different though, isn't it? What ways can we serve? What efforts can we make in? What hard work can we put in to serve the Lord and His church and the cause of the gospel? There's opportunities even in your bulletin this week for various things that you can do from follow-up from vacation Bible school. and All of us are called to this work. All of us are called to gospel work. Uh, to, to witness to our, 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 to be a witness to our friends, our neighbors, our, our co-workers, and, and, and we're called to certainly this kind of gospel work of loving one another with genuine interest and, and concern. And surely, Paul's salutations here at the end of Romans encourage us to, to be thinking about and doing these things. At the end of verse 16, Paul says, all the churches of Christ greet you. It's such a simple remark. You're like, well, how, how can he speak for all these churches? But, but he is. And it's resting on this conviction that, that every church has fellowship with Jesus Christ. And therefore, every church has a unity that transcends every human distinction or, or division. That in Jesus Christ, we are one. And we can say, we greet one another in the name of Jesus Christ. There's no doubt that when you walk with Jesus, you will lose friends. Sometimes family members. Here's what Jesus said in Mark 10. Jesus said, truly I say to you, there's no one who has left house or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or lands for my sake and for the gospel who will not receive a hundredfold now in this time houses and brothers and sisters and mothers and children and lands with persecutions and in the age to come eternal life. Don't you know that this hundredfold principle was alive in Paul's life? Here's a man that had suffered extraordinary losses. But don't you get the sense here and see he's writing closing out here in Romans that he has also been given a hundred mothers a hundred farms a hundred thousand brothers and sisters in Christ you could say that Paul is writing here as a man who is the richest man in Rome because of Christ now what about you first question is are you in Christ have you come to a place where you've recognized in your sins that it's time that you need a Savior and Lord and that leaving this world behind and everything is incomparable to having Jesus Christ in your life? Have you repented and trusted Him as Lord and Savior? Can you say, I am in Christ? I am in the Lord. And if you have, and you're, uh, then perhaps the question this morning is, are you giving yourself to the church? By that, the people around you. 
loved ones here, are you giving themselves in a way that would foster the kinds of relationships that Paul is talking about here? And if not, what will the Lord have you do about that? And then third, are you giving yourself to the gospel work of the church? There's lots that can be done. But you can't miss here the hard work that has gone in and reflected in this chapter, the hard work of praying, the hard work of sowing and planting and reaping, and the hard work of relationships that is here. Let's give ourselves to these things. Lord, thank you for your word today, and even in a a closing of a letter like here in Romans 16, we, we find so much riches and beauty, but also expectation, Lord, of how you would have us to be and function as a church. And so, Lord, teach us this morning. Lay up on our hearts as you do conviction of what we might need to do better in the power of Christ, to love one another, to serve in the gospel ministry. We give this time to you now for any public response, but we ask, Lord, as we sing, this, our singing would be a response to you, a response to the faith and love that we have for you and our commitment to Christ and all things. And so be glorified, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening to this podcast. I'm Pastor Jason Clark. And if you don't have a church home, I want to personally invite you to First Baptist Mount Washington. We're striving to be word-centered, gospel-focused, and community-minded. Learn more about our church and our meeting times from our website, fbcmw.org.